sometimes, sometimes, I think some of you don't know me at all. They dared ask me today, are we having a show tonight? Because basketball is on. I love March Madness as much as the rest of you. Uh, by the way, picked a couple of those upsets today, but absolutely. It's, it's Thursday. It's March 16th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed. How are we not going to have a show tonight? We're high atop a resplendent downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Cannot claim credit for that word, but I can claim credit for something else. And boy, do I have some details buried in this year's show to share with a lot of you. Uh, Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney being accused by one of you, not me, of being desperate. Desperate. Dabo Swinney and Nick Saban. Interesting. We're going to tackle that momentarily. I've also, we got a lot of Q&A in the show tonight. One of you posed an interesting question. Do you have to follow recruiting to really be a hardcore college football fan or just to not be considered a casual? And far be it for me to throw those labels around, but I'm, gonna, I'm at least going to pitch you on why you need to follow recruiting tonight. Uh, Oklahoma Mood Tracker, we got several big portal questions. I've got a story to tell you about certain things that have happened in this office recently, including me, management, and a ping pong table. I think you know what I'm referring to but I've buried that a little bit later in the show. So if you're a real one and you're still around, trust me, the story and the footage, you heard me correctly, will be well worth your time. They're watching us in Lexington, Oklahoma, Anchorage, Alaska, Calgary, Alberta, Canada is tuned in and Jackson, Mississippi. I told you the other night, I'm going to tell you, oh, maybe one or two more times. I am seeking feedback from a lot of you, especially those of you who watch and listen to the show a whole lot. I want to know what you think. And so we set up an email account, uh, latekicksurvey at gmail.com. Don't try and ask me personal questions there. We're only using that account so that you can take a survey. It's free. We're not, we're not giving out Applebee's gift certificates here. We just want some feedback. It takes like five minutes. Jesse put it together. And so I'm interested in what you have to say, because basically we're going to format the entirety of the fall show based on this one survey. What could go wrong? So if you don't want things to go wrong, latekicksurvey at gmail.com would be appreciated. Uh, appreciated. I am, I am apologetic also because, yes, we have the Pate State Bracket Challenge going on, and I didn't even tell you about it Tuesday. Dereliction of duty on my part. Thousands of you still got in, but you had to see me tweet it out or put it on Instagram. Otherwise, you wouldn't have known about it, uh, which is why it pays to follow on the socials at latekickjosh, but it's still my bad. I fumbled it big time by not talking about it on the show the other night. Anyway, past is past, future is now. Let's talk about a lot of the things going on in our sport. Yes, the sport of college football. They don't just hit pause on this thing because there's a tournament going on elsewhere. I got a question about Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney today, and I wanted to lead off with it. Mike hit us up, big friend of the show from Orlando, Florida, and Mike said, is Nick Saban complaining about NIL and Dabo Swinney going back on his word about never using the portal evidence that they're getting desperate? Now, you can look at this one of 14 different ways. Desperation, though, is an interesting word to use there, Mike. So uh, we've got a very, very love-love relationship, me and the audience around here. And sometimes, because we are so close and so tight-knit, I can afford to talk to you the way I'm about to talk to Mike. Anyone calling Nick Saban desperate right now or Dabo Swinney desperate because of the things they've said about you know, in Dabo's case, things like the portal or Saban's case, things like NIL. I, I don't know that. I know what you're trying to get at, Mike. I don't know if desperation's the word. And maybe if you had it to tweet over again, what a phrase there. Maybe if you had it to tweet over again, maybe if you and I were sitting here talking, you choose a different word, but we're not. And you chose desperate. So I'm gonna roll with desperate. Claiming that someone like Dabo Swinney or someone like Nick Saban right now is desperate is just a fundamental lack of understanding of what competing at the highest levels of anything consists of. They better be desperate. They better have been desperate long before now, and I'm pretty sure that they have been, and they have been paranoid, and they've been everything that most people are not, and that's what gets you to the top of an industry or a sport or a company or what have you. Desperation, I think, is code for... A lot of the critical factors and traits that go into being the type of personality that it takes to run a big organization. They don't think like you. Well, I don't know about you, Mike. I'm just saying in general, they don't think like the average person. They don't act like the average person. They don't care about what the average person cares about. But when you start calling coaches desperate, 
merely because they're rubbed the wrong way by something or because they seem paranoid about something you don't think is a big deal or you think should be embraced. It's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what it's like competing at the highest levels. I'm not talking about competing for the sake of competing. I'm talking about competing at the highest levels. They're all desperate. Every one of them's desperate. It's the same crowd throwing out that label of, ooh, look at them, they're desperate. That same crowd is the kind of crowd that snickers when they take an opponent serious, even though they're favored by 30 against them. When they're up by 42 in the fourth quarter and they're still chewing players out, that's the kind of crowd that jukes each other in the ribs and says, look at him. Look, look at this act he's putting on. It's not an act. It's not an act at all. You see those coaches dead serious, zoned in. The same reason that they're taking every opponent as seriously as the next opponent is the mechanism that makes them different. It elevates them. And Saban's been there a long time. And Dabo Swinney, while I'm certainly not saying he's Nick Saban's equal, he has elevated his program to a different level. It only takes once. You see, growing up, if you grew up with nothing, you have a certain advantage over people who grew up with something. And that advantage is you know what it's like to be broke. You know what it's like to not have something. You know what it's like to live in despair. And if you've ever lost in college football, for example, as a 20 or 30 point dog or favorite, it only takes once. Humility, one week away. It only takes once. Think about um, Marshall Notre Dame this past year. Just to pull an example from this past year. Marcus Freeman, first year as a head coach, they lose to Ohio State, oh well, they lose to Marshall, he'll never forget it. They will never overlook an opponent, and I'm not claiming they overlooked that one, but they will never forget that. And that will set a standard, and it'll be etched in stone from now throughout the remainder of his tenure in South Bend, Indiana. Five years or 50 years, they will point to the Marshall game. That Marshall team wasn't good when they came into South Bend, they weren't good when they left, they had an otherwise forgettable season, but they beat us which means if it happened once, it could happen again. Is that desperation? That's not desperation. That's just holding yourself to a really, really high standard. So with Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney, Mike said in his question, well, Saban's complaining about this NIL stuff. I've had a lot of other people in my DMs that we haven't used on air who have taken it a step further. And they said, or they've asked me, I guess, is Nick Saban scared of NIL? Saban's scared of NIL. Dabo Swinney's scared of the transfer portal. Well, there's a difference in fear of something and just not liking something. You know, Nick Saban's done this, it feels like a dozen times before, spoken out about something changing in the game. And some folks have made the mistake of thinking that his frustration is fear. You got the first letter right, but you didn't get the, the corresponding letters right. No, it's not fear. I think he's shown you time and again, he can be rubbed the wrong way about something, doesn't get his way, shrugs it off changes his entire format or whatever it takes in that particular vein, and then just continues to win and win and win with Dabo Swinney. You know, he has been outspoken in the past and, and mischaracterized in the process about how he doesn't care to use the transfer portal. He never said he wouldn't do it. Uh, that is a misnomer, but he has said, I don't want to lean on the transfer portal. And the thing about it is I get why they're rubbed the wrong way by this stuff. So not only do I not see it as fear or desperation. I don't even see it as a negative. I see a couple of guys here who just like me or you, if we were the head coaches of these programs, would have absolutely no reason to be excited about these facets of the sport changing. Now you could come in right now. If I had a co-host on the show, if Jesse were sitting out here and he were supposed to be the yin to my yang, he was supposed to be take B to take A, he would sit there and he would say, well, yeah, but but the only constant is change. Just every baseless platitude you can think of, uh, not because that's the way Jesse lives his life, but that's the way some producer would be in his ear telling him to respond. Yeah, the only constant is change. Well, those guys can't expect the world to sit still forever. No, of course they can't. Doesn't mean they have to be happy about it. And especially in Nick Saban's case, I don't think there's been anyone that has shown a better capability of adapting on the fly than him. You're talking about a guy that when all is said and done, will have totally overhauled his program two different times and stayed on top of the sport. Like, do you know how crazy that is, by the way? Imagine it's 2050. Nick Saban's been retired for like five years since then. It's 2050, and you're telling your, your grandkids at that point about this guy that just dominated the sport, went full scorched earth for like a decade and a half, two decades, and... Then the little kid asks, well, what was he? What kind of program was it? It was really defensive-minded, right? Well, it was at one point, 
Then what happened, Grandpa? Then all of a sudden he had one of the best offenses in the sport. Ooh, wow, I bet that was a tough transition, huh? There must have been a little dip. What was the Valley like? Eight wins, seven wins? No, they were still playing for national championships. You mean to tell me he totally reinvented his program at cruising altitude and like they never dropped off? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Insane. So you're going to have to excuse me. If I don't think that guy is immediately scared of another change that's come around the bend. Now, here's where the paranoia sets in. All of them have it. Um, I look at Clemson, Dabo Swinney with the portal. I look at Saban, Alabama, NIL. And what he said about NIL is, I don't like the way it's being used right now. It's not, it's not not liking NIL. With Dabo Swinney, he said, my preference is to not use the portal. But he's also said, hey, if my opponents are doing it, and we don't do it, I guess I'm, I'm willingly putting us at a disadvantage. I may have to rethink things. doesn't mean he has to like it, but it also, in his frustration, doesn't make him desperate. But I get the frustration in a more overarching manner for anyone who's a winner right now. Because if you think about it, once you get to the mountaintop in this sport, everybody's got their eyes on you. You're in everyone's crosshairs. They're gunning for you. And that's hard enough. That is, that is hard enough to maintain success, even in a static environment. But now, if you're winning, Alabama and Clemson have been winning programs for a while, not only is the rest of the sport out there spending every waking moment figuring out how to try and beat you, the sport itself is shifting under your feet like it never has before. So it almost feels like you're competing on multiple fronts like you've never been asked, like no one's ever been asked to do before. I'm not saying the sport has always just been static and the same, but certainly. No one's going to watch this show and tell me, oh, the, the level of change in the sport over the past five years, it's just always been that way. Of course it hasn't. That would be a major lie. Of course it hasn't. So, yeah, I get it. I, I guess I can't, I can't be hating on someone if I would be the same way. Now, here's what I will caution. I will caution you guys. You might just talk Debo Swinney into using that portal. And if Clemson decides to pull the trigger on the portal, I mean really pull the trigger on it, they're going to dominate the portal. Nick Sa- I don't even need to tell you what's going to happen if Nick Saban is allowed to recruit in the NIL era because they're already doing it. They just signed, in my opinion, the best class he's ever signed there. That's a 16-year run, big sample size. And also, as I've told you on the program already, some of you believe it, some of you don't, they're not really having to lean into NIL all that much. Josh just said Alabama doesn't use NIL. No, he didn't. Josh just said he, they're not disproportionately outspending anyone in NIL. And the perception is they are. They aren't. That's bad news, by the way, for anyone who thinks they already have kicked it into high gear. Alabama's not the only one. Ohio State's not a huge spender. Georgia's not a massive spender. These top programs that you want to convince yourself are only on top because they're outspending everyone. They're not the culprits. They don't have to. That's the whole point. That's the great catch-22 in the room. They're not the ones who have to overcompensate with the wallet for what they can't produce and can't provide in terms of proven production. It's a funny thing when you walk through someone's facility and they got a loaded-up trophy case, and then you walk through someone's facility and there's a 24-hour loop of the previous three NFL drafts, and it's just player after player after player, and their graphics on the wall with six, nine, ten zeros on the end. This is the combined amount that our players have made in the NFL over the past decade. All of a sudden, kids look at that and say, uh, well, if they're offering me 35000 and another program is offering me 60000 am I really going to let twenty five k be the difference relative to what could be the difference in my life four years from now if I go here versus there? The way NIL is working is not necessarily uh, the way people think it's working, is what I'm saying. So no, I don't think they're necessarily desperate. I just think things are changing. Things always do. They never stay the same. And I think both of those guys will be fine. Although, I felt like this segment was ending like three minutes ago. Although, if you want to doubt Dabo Swinney, there's a different conversation to be had, I think. Because with Dabo, it's just this, this unwillingness to dive into something. And if you look at the talent level on their roster, they're not Alabama. They don't recruit automatically top five every year. You know, it's going to be an interesting little case study. I mean, producer Jesse, we were talking about it earlier. It's going to be an interesting little case study come this fall 
that is not a supremely talented roster. It's a very, very talented roster. Yes, it's the most talented in the ACC. Yes, they don't measure up apples to apples, player to player, to programs like Georgia, like Alabama. So may not matter in ACC play, or maybe it will, but come playoff time, there is a chance that you watch Clemson on the field with one of those teams, and all of a sudden, for the first time in a while, it doesn't look like they have the same caliber athlete. And that wake-up call, that'll really be when folks start to look at Dabo if he doesn't already do it before then and say, are you seriously going to continue to have this resource at your disposal, a resource that's tailor-made for you, and voluntarily not use it? It's not like the NCAA slapped Clemson on the top of the head and said, you were banned from using the portal. The leader at Clemson, God bless him. It's, it's part of his value system and his principle system. I just, man, that stuff, that's something you cannot etch in stone because um, the other guys get to use it, and they're going to use it, continue to use it. You got a competitor that you have equal odds to in the ACC this year in Florida State that has very effectively used it. I don't know. We'll see. I still believe Dabo knows a little bit more about Clemson than me, but we'll see. Okay, speaking of, could not have transitioned any better if we wrote it this way. And trust me, we don't write the show, period. I appreciate you guys being tuned in uh, live, especially knowing what else is going on in the world. If you're here, like the video, subscribe to the channel, the end. As I was about to say, speaking of the transfer portal, several questions, major questions floating out there. I think Chris Hummer, as I've told you, did a really good job in his feature on 247sports.com. And there's like 150 questions in that feature, but I got a few more that I want to point you to tonight. One of easily the biggest transfer portal questions coming up in 2023 is what does Notre Dame do now that they've added Sam Hartman? Sam Hartman was the quarterback at Wake Forest. I'm going to give you some numbers in a second that even if you watched him, you may not be aware of, but they've added him. Gerard Parker is elevated as the new offensive coordinator there. They had the whole thing, remember, with the Utah offensive coordinator. And he's coming, he's at, he's, at, he's at the game with Marcus Freeman, so that means he's coming, right? Well, all of a sudden he's not coming, and then it's, were they too cheap to pay the buyout, or blah, blah, blah. So anyway, that's in the past. Parker is elevated, so the tight ends coach is now the offensive coordinator. Notre Dame was 98th in pass yards per game last year. They weren't good. I mean, they, uh, to put a finer point on it, were bad offensively. Uh, they were 2-4 and four when scoring less than 30 points. They were 7-0 and oh when scoring more than 30. I would suggest that's a pretty key number for them to try and hit more often this year. But think about this with Sam Hartman. This is why there's obviously a lot of excitement. You know he was pretty good and he was at Wake Forest a long time. Do you know that in, in the span of his career, Sam Hartman's career at Wake Forest, they were number one in completion percentage, passing efficiency, passing touchdowns, total touchdowns, all of those metrics. They were number one in the country during his career. And you may not have seen Wake Forest dotting the college football playoff landscape. But man, he played really good football. And now all of a sudden you just plug him in at Notre Dame. I, I keep seeing people say, why does Notre Dame have playoff odds as, as short, relatively short as they are? It's because they got a really good quarterback. That's why. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks in the ACC, that's one. Sam Hartman's one that left the ACC. So he was at Wake and now he's at Notre Dame. That's just the beginning. Look at what the transfer portal has done. They, they, look at what they did to the ACC. So some of these guys moved around the conference, and some of them moved out of the conference. There are two, four, six, eight. There are 10 names on the screen right now of quarterbacks who were starting, in most cases at least, in the ACC last year, and they moved at least programs, if not out of the conference outright. Devin Leary, if, especially if you're listening on podcast, you want to play a fun little game here? How well do you know your sport? Devin Leary, where did he transfer to NC State? Or where did he transfer from? NC State to Kentucky. Uh, DJ Uyangalale, all the way from Clemson out to where? Oregon State. Jeff Sims is at Nebraska now. He was at Georgia Tech last year. Keaton Slovis, I guarantee you like 30 or 40% of our audience doesn't know that he's at Brigham Young now by way of Pitt. Phil Dracovic went from BC to Pitt. Brendan Armstrong went down the coast a little ways from Virginia to NC State. Jake Garcia is not at Miami anymore. He's at Missouri. And Jacoby Criswell. Uh, frankly, I did not even remember this move happening. Criswell went from North Carolina to Arkansas. I can't even begin 
to offer you a prediction on who the biggest winner is there, who the biggest loser is. Obviously, Hartman's a very, very key name. But it could be that just Phil Dracovic, who had zero offensive line last year, goes to Pitt, and all of a sudden they're, they're just good this year, and you're saying, I never really expected this. What if DJ was more a prisoner of having a bad offensive coordinator last year, and he goes out to Oregon State, and they up their level of play a notch, and it's already a pretty high level of play. And Oregon State's a surprise contender. You know, Oregon State's odds aren't nearly as long to win their conference as you think they are. Jeff Sims could just shock everyone at Nebraska. My point is, there were some players in some less than desirable circumstances last year, that's why they transferred, who were going to some interesting places. Now, let's go down south for just a second. I think we need to talk about Ole Miss, because Ole Miss doesn't have any one player. I guess you could look at quarterback if you wanted to, but even at quarterback, they added a couple of guys. You know, they added Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State. They also added Walker Howard. These are both former, well, I would classify Sanders as a four-star player. Walker Howard, former four-star player. And they come in there and you may say, okay, which one of them is going to win the quarterback job? And then all of a sudden you hear this, oh, oh, Jackson Dart's in the trunk. He's still here? Yes, he's still there. So there are three quarterbacks that we have to keep an eye on at Ole Miss, but that's not it. They brought in eight four-star rated players. That is tied for the most in this cycle out of the portal. Number six overall portal class. They have to replace two of their top three corners. They brought in three corners. So you got a couple of quarterbacks, three corners. Chris Marshall, remember that name? Where do you remember Chris Marshall from? He was one of like 17 five-star rated players that Texas A&M signed in that last class, class before last, that left. And uh, that's a five-star caliber receiver. Now, he still has to live up to the potential, obviously. And they got Trey Harris, who's a four-star receiver out of Louisiana Tech. And if you think about the Southern equivalent of what UCLA is doing, it's Ole Miss. Ole Miss is, is sitting in a situation right now, and Lane Kiffin's been very vocal about it. He's been more vocal than Chip Kelly has. I'm doing more talking about Chip Kelly than Chip Kelly is. Lane Kiffin has said, it's very frustrating for them to try and recruit heads up in traditional high school recruiting in the portal era because, or the, in the NIL era because the relationships don't seem to matter as much. It's just about you know who comes in with the biggest bag at the 11th hour. Well, they've adjusted. And so now he is going about things in a strikingly similar manner to the way Chip Kelly is. You may not get the kid out of high school. Oh, well, that's not your last shot. And frankly, after they get in college, you know more about them. You got far more dependable film to eval, and they've adjusted to college life, and they may not have the same priority structure in deciding where they're going to transfer to as they did when they were deciding where they're going to commit to. So, all of a sudden, maybe what Ole Miss lacks on National Signing Day, they're making up for by landing top 10 portal classes. Uh, what about Oregon? You know, Oregon out on the West Coast is a really, really interesting story. Jordan Birch was one of the biggest signings in South Carolina football in a long time. And he never quite lived up to the billing on the field that they wanted out of the five-star edge guy there. But then when you talk to some folks, they say, yeah, no, he has not. He's been very inconsistent, but we still think his best football is ahead of him. Now you hear that all the time. So players they say that about are a dime a dozen, but sometimes they're right about it. Well, Jordan Birch is at Oregon now. Keep an eye on that. Also, that's a defensive room that's pretty stacked. That's a defensive line room that's getting more and more stacked by the day. Fun fact here, there are only three teams in the top 10 right now in the recruiting rankings and the portal rankings for this cycle. One of them is LSU, one of them is Oklahoma, and this is the third one. The Oregon Ducks, they're not far away. Mario Cristobal left a pretty full cupboard out there. Dan Landing's come in. And one of the biggest immediate fears in the minds of an Oregon fan have been alleviated because talent acquisition hasn't fallen off. They still recruit very well. They are hammering the portal very hard. And Oregon opens week two at Texas Tech. Got Hawaii, got Colorado. And then they got a bye week before they go to Washington. That, that Oregon State loss and that... That Washington loss last year, it stung. It should sting. It absolutely should sting. So that's yet another team in this world where people tell you Pac-12 can't win a playoff game. Pac-12 can't even go to the playoff. Conferences don't go to playoffs. Teams do. 
And Oregon will probably be a really good team this year. Regardless of what sticker is on the back of their helmet, they'll probably be a really good team this year. And if I'm right about that, it'll be because of several players we just talked about. I already see it over my shoulder. I just slightly turn, and I see that bright blue Academy Sports logo. And it is very, very much like when you're walking through the woods, especially if you grew up in the South, you, and you were, you were a child of like the 90s or early 2000s, or any time before that, you just played outside all day, and then it got dark, and one of the most comforting sights was the front porch light being on as you came out of the woods, in our case, in Forts in Georgia, and it's just, it's great. It's a comforting feeling, and that's exactly what that blue logo behind me reminds me of. Academy Sports and Outdoors always there to light the way for us and to make it free of charge for you to watch or listen to this show, but real talk. Softball season's coming up. I got a bunch of equipment in today. You don't have to guess where I ordered it, but I got a bunch of equipment in today. Uh, You know, I take it very seriously. Producer Jesse, who suffered a devastating hamstring injury last year, but is taking steps to eradicate that risk this year. He takes it seriously. Uh, Belchie's not in the building right now. He takes it seriously. We have got some business to take care of on the softball field this year. Some of you have business to take care of on the baseball field. Some of you have business to take care of on the golf course. Some of you, all of the above. Just hit up Academy Sports and Outdoors before you do. Some of you need to show out on the grill a little bit more this year than you did last year. They've got it at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Some of you need to remind your loved ones how great the great outdoors are. Hit them up. Tents, fishing equipment, whatever you need. Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are our partner for life. You remember NWO for life once upon a time? In the Outer Banks world, we say Pogues for life. Well, also Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are our partner for life, and we appreciate them. Onward we march in this show tonight, after a sip from the chalice, of course, three of which are on the line for the top three finishers in our Pate State Bracket Challenge. And some of you have already given up, even after the upsets and the dust clears from earlier today. But don't lose faith. Uh, but I do fully plan on winning one of those chalai. And it's, it's classless, it's unethical, but I plan on winning one. Okay, Colin, do we have this question? Yeah, look at this. I mean, Dubs hit us up. Strangely, his handle is Dubs Knows Ball. Let's see how well Dubs Knows Ball. His question, why do we widely accept the Big Ten as the second best conference and comparable to the SEC? The conference has won one playoff game since 2016 and is mediocre outside of Ohio State and Michigan. Even if they are number two, the gap between the SEC and the Big Ten is much smaller than the Big Ten and the rest of the field from New York City. Like I said before, I feel that the connection between myself and you guys is such that I can speak to you like I'm about to have to speak to Dubs. And I'm even going to use a phrase I don't believe in. Not only is the Big Ten the second best conference in America, Here comes the dirty phrase. It's not even close. And we're going to take that phrase and put it right back in retirement because 99.9 times out of 100 when someone says it, whatever they're talking about is pretty close. I don't think this is close. Let's just break this down, you and I, for a second. I'm not asking you to wave a Big Ten pom-pom. Not asking you to do that. I am asking you to think logically, dubs and the rest of you, think logically for just a second. The Big Ten's won one playoff game, he says. Since 2016. Accurate. Very selective there, going only back to 2016. It probably has something to do with the fact that Ohio State won the national title the year before, but you know what? I'm not even going to use that as part of my argument. Let's take it as it was presented to us. From 2016 through present day, Dubs says the O, well, the Big Ten in general, is overrated. They are not automatically the number two conference in college football, or even if they are, it's just, it's just inches separating them and whoever's behind them because the Big Ten's only won one playoff game since 2016. And that was Ohio State, by the way, for those keeping track in 2020. Um, I don't think that's a good argument. You know how I feel about the playoff, but forget about my feelings. Even if that is a good argument, who's done better? Clemson, not the ACC. Clemson is the only program that's done better because if you're talking about conferences, You've got, other than the SEC, let me tell you how many playoff wins there have been for other conferences. The ACC 
is six and five in playoff games. And I kid you not, all six of them are Clemson. It, they might as well be Notre Dame. They might as well just be an independent. Uh, but the Big 12, they've got one. They've got one win in the playoff era. And that was TCU about five minutes ago. The Big 10 in the playoff era has got three wins. The Pac-12 has one. And the SEC's got 16. So yeah, there's a, there's a wide gap. If you want to go by this metric, there's a pretty wide gap between the SEC and the Big 10. But let me tell you something especially in present day, there is very much a pretty sizable gap between the Big Ten and whomstever number three is. I'll put it to you like this, and I'll, I'll go back to the question. The question was, why do we just assume that the Big Ten is number two? Outside of Ohio State and Michigan, he said, it's a mediocre conference. No, it's not. I'd throw Penn State in there, but even if you're right about that, you want to do me a favor? Since we're talking comparatively and not in a vacuum, you want to do me a favor right quick? Anybody can do this. You want to venture across the rest of the country, Pac-12, Big 12, ACC, what have you. Do me a favor. Pick a conference. Remove the two best programs in there and tell me what you find. Remove um, Oklahoma and, well, it should be Texas, but Oklahoma. We're going to remove OU and Texas in a second. So remove like TCU and Kansas State from last year. From the Big 12, what you got? Remove Utah and USC last year from the Pac-12. What do you have? You got two fairly good programs up there in Oregon and Washington. I would argue you've also got more than two good programs in the Big 10. But where else are we finding it? I don't even think we need to dive into the landfill that has been ACC football outside of Clemson over the past few years. Rooting for you, Florida State. Root, clinch fist? Rooting for you. No one's got anything. Here's what you have to do, though. You have to understand the difference, or you have to understand, rather, that there are tiers in this sport. And right now, the phraseology of this question, and you know how rarely I use that word, but the phraseology of this question is perpetuating this kind of narrative that I hear a lot. You're either playoff contender or you're trash. And that's not true. Someone's got to be the 34th best team in the country. Like, like Minnesota hangs out in that territory. Iowa, most, most years, would be hanging out in that territory. Wisconsin, in many years, hangs out in that territory. Michigan State, in most years, hangs out in that territory. There is a glob of Big Ten teams that would populate that 30 through 50 range. Uh, that is not mediocrity if you consider how the rest of the sport is tiered when you get below the top layer in those conferences. The Big Ten's a very quality conference. And also, since when did we dismiss the top two? Like, yeah, other than Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, well, it's very convenient that you want to go other than two of the top four or five programs in college football right now. And Penn State, even the biggest detractor of the Nittany Lions, has to understand program caliber, top 15 easily, I would argue top 10. So that's a really good conference. They're not the SEC, but there's no one else out there like them. And also, this is future forward, or forward thinking, but I would encourage you to pay attention to what just happened in Lincoln, Nebraska, and Madison, Wisconsin. And you may think to yourself, who cares? They were terrible last year. In fact, didn't they both fire their coaches? That's the point. It's not that they fired their coaches. It's who they hired. You ever seen Nebraska be that aggressive? in hiring a head coach. They went and got Matt Rule. You ever seen Wisconsin be that proactive? They fired Paul Crist early in the season and went and got Luke Fickle, who was the single hottest commodity on the G5 market. Everyone was convinced, unless Ohio State comes open, he'll probably just, just hang tight at Cincinnati. They got him at Wisconsin. You know what that's indicative of? It's indicative of a conference that just signed a bazillion-dollar media rights deal, and member institutions understanding amongst themselves mediocrity is not good enough. You know, having these coaches that are also ran and these caliber programs that are also ran, it's not good enough anymore. Because I will grant you this, if you've looked at the content uh, calendar that the Big Ten has presented, it is true. If Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State haven't been involved in the game, especially last year, it wasn't must-see TV, and there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for, for 
you know, your Nebraska's and Wisconsin's or Iowa's not living up to, or Michigan State last year, not living up to a higher standard. I think they understand that up there. That is why I think change will eventually come at Iowa. You see, because Kirk Ferentz and the way they do things at Iowa once upon a time was good enough. I think the standard has elevated in the Big Ten because the money has elevated in the Big Ten. And as much as I bemoan a lot of what these new media rights deals have brought with them, one of the beneficiaries may be that overall, your athletic department just feels the need to hold itself to a higher standard to reciprocate the billions of dollars collectively that they are being given from a network, or in this case, networks, and understanding that, hey, man, this, this, this era where you're incentivizing your offensive coordinators to score 25 points a game, true story, by the way, uh, not good enough anymore. So not only is the Big Ten the second best conference in college football, I think there is a solid reason to believe they will be strengthening their position, not weakening anytime soon. Speaking of the Big Ten, they're watching us in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Stark, Florida, and Eden, New York. Thank you guys so much. It's time to bring the mood tracker back. The mood tracker, and Colin, this is not the end point yet. I have to explain what the mood tracker is. Uh, the mood tracker is very simple. It's something we do several times a year. It's just something where we want to we cut the fan base open, figuratively, and just feel them out. Don't care what anyone else is saying about your program. In this particular moment, I'm interested what the fan base themselves are thinking about their program. We remove the fringe minority on either side of the aisle, and we just we take the middle 75 or 80%. Oklahoma mood tracker. What, where's, the, where's the mind at right now amongst Oklahoma fans? Now, remember what happened last year. And what happened last year and what could happen this year is what makes this easily one of the top five most intriguing programs going into 2023. I think Texas down the road is in the same boat. Oklahoma State maybe too. Brent Venables comes in last year after that bombshell announcement. Lincoln Riley's leaving out of nowhere. And he's going to LSU? No, he's going to USC. What? So that was one of the biggest stories in recent memory in college football. And Oklahoma, they were kind of devastated. It was out of the left field. It was a gut punch, but they regrouped. They didn't have a ton of drama around their coaching search. They dusted themselves off. They said, all right, Brent, you're next. And they hired Brent Venables. And they fell flat on their face. They were a six-win team in year one. Did go to a bowl game, lost the bowl game. So what did outsiders start saying? Well, if you're one of them, you probably participated in saying, uh-oh, hired the wrong guy. Uh-oh, Oklahoma's fallen off. Oh, they certainly won't be ready for the SEC. They're not even ready for the Big 12. There was a big lie, though, that was told. And the lie just went full British. And, and the lie was that Oklahoma was still loaded, no matter who the coach was, and that they were just going to seamlessly transition. And it was, a, it was a lie. It was not reality. It was a lazy take if you just looked at recruiting rankings and didn't understand when Lincoln Riley walked out the door and his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator walked out the door, uh, let me tell you what else they took. QB1, QB2, running back one, four of the top five pass catchers, tight end one, tight end two, two starting offensive linemen and a backup. Some of them went with him. Some of them just transferred elsewhere and some of them graduated. Uh, that was not a loaded team. Not a, now, it wasn't a poor man's roster. It wasn't a poverty roster, but it was not a loaded team. I think the most troubling aspect, if you want to throw stones at Brent Venables in year one, is offense isn't what struggled nearly as much as defense is what struggled. And that's the name of his game. So the defensive stats were bad. They were 99th in points per game allowed last year. They were in the 100s in rush yards per game allowed, pass yards per game allowed, total yards per game allowed. No bueno. Okay. So with that being the context, I'll tell you what the mood is amongst Oklahoma fans, and it is very simply clear the mechanism. I go to this one every now and then. It is from the movie For Love of the Game, which ironically is about baseball, but it's, it's what Kevin Costner tells himself on the mound, or Billy Chapel, if you will. He's on the mound, pitching in Yankee Stadium, I think, and so you got, you got 45, 50,000 folks, and... They're screaming at you because you're a Detroit Tiger, so you're on the road, and you've got drama off the field in your personal life, and it's all going through his head, and you've got, you've got detractors from every angle, and you've got media and press coming at you from every angle, and you are on that mound. No one else. You're on that mound, and you're facing one of the best hitters on the planet, 
And he is 60 feet, six inches away from you, I believe. And he says, clear the mechanism. And all of a sudden, the noise just goes. It's what the best in the world can do. It's what Oklahoma needs to be able to do. The noise is irrelevant as long as you can make it irrelevant. No one outside Norman, Oklahoma matters. No one's opinion outside Norman, Oklahoma matters. And the reality is, despite how disastrous last year was, people closest to the program, they know what I just said. They know how much talent was drained from that roster. They know how atypical the talent drain was and the circumstances were. And they know while last year's result was totally unacceptable, they also think a few other things. They think they've got the right guy. They endorsed Brent Venables coming in. They understand there's not a a catastrophic failure of culture there. Uh, there. There is no NCAA cloud looming over the program. They've no, got, they've got no scandal-ridden program or anything like that. They've just got some things to fix. And so what they have to do is clear the mechanism, uh, black out the outsiders, and kind of circle the wagons a little bit and fix them. Fan bases can be part of that because positive energy can be part of that. I think that's where their mind's at. Now, an outsider may look at Oklahoma. If you didn't know any better, you're just like a you know, you're a, you're a Pitt fan and you watch the program from a distance, you saw six and seven, and you probably think, boy, I bet they're second-guessing themselves. I don't really think most of them are. I, I think they're very aggravated by what happened last year, but if you've got to take one step backwards to take five steps forward, so be it. Here's why I rest a little easier at night thinking about the future of Oklahoma. Talent's going to be there, more so than it was last year. Talent's going to be there. They have recruited top 10. They've recruited top eight portal classes and top eight recruiting classes. The two cycles, Venables has been there. That includes signing one of the very best quarterbacks in America in Jackson Arnold. So they'll be fine there. Now, if they don't succeed, which is still a possibility, then they don't succeed. But that'll just mean flat out Brent Venables was the wrong hire and you etch a sketch left to right, just started over clean slate. It won't be because they weren't able to get the players. That's the biggest fear. You can't get the players. Well, they've they've gotten the players and are getting the players. Now you just got to make the players do what they're supposed to do. But the first time since 1998 being under 500, the first time since, so this millennium, last time they were under 500, people weren't even talking about Y2K yet. So you can either think that's a new trend or think that what this piece of paper says is more likely, and that is it's a blip on the radar screen. I, I Look, I just skimmed over having Jackson Arnold there. Having a quarterback that can be the future face of your franchise, like it is in the NFL, is also a game changer in college football. We got to see that dude. Actually, we're showing footage right now from Elite 11 out in L.A., where we'll be headed again in a few months. And I think they're going to be okay. More importantly, since this is about OU fans, they think they're going to be okay. Clear the mechanism. Clear it. Great movie. Very underrated baseball movie. Very underrated sports movie for love of the game. And since so many of you watched The Words upon my recommendation, more so than some of my coworkers will, maybe you need to go watch For Love of the Game. Oh boy, it's time. It's that time of the show. We're a little ways into it now. You know, I, I see our audience retention metrics and they are crazy. The average viewer watches our show about 28 minutes right now. So we're about 43 minutes into the show. So some of the casuals have dipped. No, casuals don't listen to this show. But um, if you got stuff to do, you got stuff to do. But you know, we, especially in this time of year, we don't call it the off season, but we can be a little looser in what we talk about. I wanted to show you a question here. John hit us up. Longtime listener, first time caller from Marietta, Georgia. My question is, Who does management think he is? I'll hang up and listen. There's a little play there on what the typical first-time caller on radio sounds like. January 30th, John. January 30th was one of the darkest days in the history of this office. I told you what happened, but I'll tell you once more briefly. They got us a ping-pong table. I take immense pride in how I perform. That is my battlefield within the office. And then there's another figurative battlefield that people like us, me and you, John, have fought forever against people like them. And by them, I mean management. And I lost on January 30th, the year of our Lord, 2023, for the first time in my life, I lost a ping pong match to management. Fair and square, 
Can't even put an asterisk next to it. And it was disappointing for me. But what crushed me is I knew I let people down. I let everyone down who had ever found themselves trapped under the silver thumb of management. You can't do anything about it in most cases, but I can. And I can face our superiors in athletic competition, and I failed. And the very next week, I came on this show and I admitted it to you, but I also came on this show the week after I lost that Pong match to management, and I made you a promise. And if you don't remember it, that's fine because Colin's got it right now. I'm telling you this I will not lose to management again. It's not going to happen. I got the wake up call I needed. So you can lay whatever odds you need to. The days of management honoring himself around this office when it comes to ping pong are over. Since that day, entering this week, I was 33-0 against management, but that wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough because what management couldn't do with his paddle, he chose to do with his $52 pen. And not just with the power of the pen, but with the power of the cover of darkness. They waited until I went out of town, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, and they formatted a tournament. Typical management tactic. They formatted a tournament to determine the champion of the office. And they didn't seed it the right way, and I took great umbrage with it. You also know how rarely I use that term. But it happened anyway. There was one flaw in management's plan. They didn't determine when preliminary matches were held. So your boy came back from Indianapolis covering the NFL Combine, find out I've been blindsided by treachery, say, that's okay. And I sat in the corner and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And everyone else got their preliminary match out of the way. And I went last. And since ethics had been thrown out the window long before that point, I not only went 2-0 and against HR like I needed to do, but I allowed HR to score between 28 and 33 combined points against me, which locked up the sixth seed. Why did I need the sixth seed, friends? Why did I shave points to get the sixth seed? Because that drew me management in the Elite Eight. And that date was approaching, and management could do nothing about it. And finally it arrived, and it was two days ago. It was March 14th, and he couldn't hide any longer. And not only was it glorious, one of our employees happened to be rolling on it. Colin, can we see that beautiful footage? Now, I will say this. He trained diligently for it, even tried to wear a white t-shirt to throw me off, but to no avail. First game, smoked him. Second game, we go into overtime, but it wasn't enough to beat him. You got to take management down. Put him on the ground. It's not enough to win by points. You want the knockout. And then one of our viewers with the cherry on top delivered this. They don't play that sport at the country club. I guarantee you they don't play that at the country club. When you're put on equal footing, people like them will never beat people like us, John. And so the moral of the story is, On January 30th, I promised you I will not lose to management again. And today it is March 16th, and I'm 39-0 and against management since that point. So who does management think he is? It doesn't really matter who he thinks he is because we know who management is. Let's move on. Recruiting. It's an integral part of this sport, isn't it? Jack has a very interesting question about recruiting here from Birmingham, Alabama. Think about this. I think some of you may be in the same boat. Jack asked, as a fan, is it possible not to take any interest in recruiting without being billed as a casual? Now, Jack, I am never going to assume you're a casual just because you don't follow recruiting. So uh, here's how I'll put it to you. I remember when I played high school baseball, when I was a freshman, and they gave us our itinerary. Mark Gilruth was the head coach at Harris County at that time. He gave us our itinerary. He didn't even know our names. We were just freshmen. And I looked at our calendar, and it said in December there were voluntary conditioning periods. I was dumb enough to think it was actually voluntary. I didn't know any better. And so I quickly came to find out what voluntary meant. Jack, here's what I'll tell you. Following recruiting is voluntary, but it is highly recommended. And it can be very, very fun if you understand how to properly interpret recruiting. Now, I'm not into making the whole NFL to college football comparison, but I will say this. I don't know many folks 
who follow the NFL game religiously who don't follow the NFL draft because they are they are one and the same. They're just two different spectacles. But you can't have one without the other. You can't fully understand your roster. Or you can't fully understand the story of a team or the players on that team without having followed the draft. Well, in college football, I've always said the same thing. Yeah, you could watch Texas versus Oklahoma. You could watch Michigan, Ohio State. You can watch Auburn versus Alabama. And it may be very entertaining for you. But if you want to be a more diehard fan, if you want to understand the full context of it and the beauty, the beauty that is interwoven into the tapestry of those games, boy, it really helps to know that not only did that four-star wide receiver from Montgomery, Alabama, just score a go-ahead touchdown in the Iron Bowl, but he was once committed to Auburn and then flipped to Alabama 48 hours before national signing day. Steve Wolfong broke the news. Yeah, that all of a sudden rings the bell a little bit differently. I also think that recruiting is more fun to follow than the draft process, and it's a totally different animal than the NFL draft. You got to understand now, in college, they don't pick the player. The player picks them. So there's this immense amount of pride when a kid who has options to go wherever he wants to go chooses to be a Miami Hurricane. Miami does not get to choose the five-star out of Douglasville, Georgia with the ninth pick in the 2023 college football draft. That's not the way it works. And then what you also come to find is those kids that are, that are picking between Florida State and Miami turn it into a competition between the exact same schools that you have grown accustomed to watching do battle on the field on Saturdays. And the way that you get jacked up to watch a big USC-Oregon game on Saturdays, what you may not know if you don't follow recruiting is there are kids in that stadium on that very afternoon watching that very game that are set to decide whether they're going to go to Oregon or USC Three weeks from now, it's an official visit weekend in Eugene or, or L.A. It's, it's crazy. Some of the best stories in college football don't even happen on Saturdays. They happen in recruiting. Like the, There are a lot of guys who have made millions of dollars in this business as assistant coaches who would tell you themselves are average at best on the grease board. They're average at best when it comes to game planning and and when it comes to the intricacies of coaching their position, they're just good enough to stay on a staff because what their real contribution is, is landing talent. They may be a decent cook, but they are phenomenal at going and getting the right ingredients. That doesn't necessarily exist in the NFL. You, you, you don't really have to do that because of the way that the draft is structured. In college football, totally different ballgame. So, no, you don't have to follow recruiting. I don't know why you wouldn't, though. And that's all I have to say about that, in the words of Forrest Gump. All right, I appreciate you guys watching. We will be back here Sunday night. We will be live. Why? Why not, is what I ask. Until then, for Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Take care, have a great start to your weekend, and God bless. God bless.